welcome to episode 126 of Friends of Film, a podcast covering latest news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover Sonic the Hedgehog casting, Kumail fighting aliens, Jennifer Garner out for revenge, and more after review upgrade. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who thinks Crystal Skull is a great movie, Josh Straley. Good movie, great ending. You've done that to me twice now, but yes. it is. I do think so. I watched it on Memorial Day uh, in the morning because I was just on my Harrison hook. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know what? This fits. It fits perfectly with the weirdness, not the weirdness, the fun of the first three. And then it's a good capstone because it's like we're moving out of these lost artifacts. And it's the 60s now, mm-hmm. 70s now. Yeah. And the world, most of the world's been discovered. And so it's like, what's the last thing Indiana Jones should go up against in this new space age? Interdimensional aliens. But what about like the the next one that's coming? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, they didn't, Spielberg didn't make this movie with the, oh, this is the one Indiana Jones before George randomly sells his whole yeah, film company. That's true. So it fits well with the other three. The only thing I can't defend is is Shia LaBeouf and the monkeys. Okay, that, that's yeah, just that's just the dumb bad. part. But other than that, uh, I I think it's fun. It's 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 exactly in the spirit of the rest, and we were way too harsh on it. I mean, t- I mean, it, it got good reviews at the time. Yeah, and I was surprised to you. I think we were sitting here before the pot. I'm like, this thing has a seventy percent, mm-hmm. and then I went back to it. And I'm like, you know what? That makes a whole lot of sense. So I, I thoroughly enjoy. Watching I think the it narrative again. on that movie has changed. Since the release, obviously, but mm-hmm. I mean, you agree with the people at the time. I do, and I feel like you're now in the minority of people who think it's because a I think good, or at least an acceptable entry into the franchise. It's it's exactly on par with the rest of them. I think on par with the rest of the Indiana Jones movies. It's, and it's, it is certainly better than Temple of Doom. Okay. Yeah. Come at me. But hey, don't forget, everyone, you can get all of our latest updates on Facebook and Twitter, at Friends and Film, and be sure to check out the rest of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you can, on iTunes, leave us a review. It really helps. Yeah, and then be sure to head over to our website as well, friendsoffilm.wordpress.com, where you guys will see reviews from us each and every week, maybe a couple on uh, certain weeks, depending on how often we can get to a theater. This week... I did the written review for Upgrade, yeah. and if you've read it, I hope you have. If not, head over to the website and give it a read. I'm going to kind of reiterate some of those thoughts now, but the title reads, Upgrade uh, Review Blumhouse's Action Movie Packs a Punch, because I was really looking forward to this movie based on the trailers, mm-hmm. and just because it, it, it had some uniqueness to it, and just the way that it you used the cameras in the trailer, and it really kind of promised, like, you're going to get to see some stuff that you didn't, you haven't seen before. It looked like some low-level, low-key Matrix stuff. Yeah, like Matrix plus, um, like, John Wick or something. And mm-hmm. it's like, then that's, I feel like that's yeah. what I got. Um, I thought that Logan Marshall Green in the leading role, I thought he was really, really good. Maybe his best role so far, um, because... He had to do something I th- thought was very challenging, where he has to play this human part, but then also, at a certain point in the movie, once Stem becomes part of him, then he has to start acting like a robot is controlling his body. And so, like, he becomes very stiff in other in certain moments, but yeah, then also, true. when Stem takes over for the first time, Logan Marshall Green is the one doing the actual hand-to-hand combat, and he's, you know, 
hit punching dudes in the face, uh, using knives on them, and doing this these very vicious acts. But the whole time, Logan Marshall Green is just like, oh, oh no, oh I can't, oh my gosh, it's so terrible. And it's like yeah. I can't imagine how difficult that had to be from an actor's perspective to have your body be completely. Uh, robotic and killing somebody, but then your face just being awe and disgust kind yeah. of what you're actually doing. Disconnecting emotions from the actions you're taking. Yeah. Like being a passenger in your own body. That's crazy. That's and like, true. I thought that was such a great aspect. Like, I, I think that was required for this role, but there wasn't anything I think from Marshall Green's past. I'm like, oh, he can definitely pull this off, but he, he did it really, really well. Um, even going then again too like his body movements were just the fighting style looked very um stiff and robotic but like in a good way it's not like oh this guy can't fight it's just like no he's very calculated like precise and you would he's fighting like how a robot would fight basically um and i think a lot of that also comes from the director uh uh lay winnell want to get that name right um he is this is a second featured uh, movie after previously directing Insidious Chapter 3 for Blumhouse, mm. um, following after James Wan on those first two Insidious movies. And this one, I feel like there's a lot of James Wan elements to it. I believe Wan is a producer on the movie. Okay. Um, and there's even a James Wan Easter egg really? in what the was- movie. If you look closely in the uh, about second act, there's a... Uh, a listing for people who live in this building and one of them is Jay Wan. And so I was like, ah, very, very nice touch there. And I I really was really impressed though with Winnell, just kind of the way he paced the movie, but also his collaboration with cinematographer Stefan Duccio. Yes. Uh, They, they were uh, part of the biggest reason probably why those fight scenes really stood out because they were able to really move the camera. And I thought were really interesting and fun and new ways where they're they're bringing like the tilt shots all the way up and mm-hmm. the, just following the body and but then also like these like kind of really like quick zoom in and out so like as like he's walking and like it just something about it just felt robotic to me but also yeah. like I hadn't seen it before the the steady cam had no bounce to it mm-hmm. whatsoever so I think one of the one of the first times I noticed it was he's walking into his house after having yeah. stem implanted and I'm like why does this feel so robotic and mm-hmm. I realized. We're not getting any movement on that camera. We're locked yeah. right on to the back of Marshall Green's head. I'm like, wow, that makes you really feel like you're embodying him for a moment mm-hmm. as he's getting used to his new limbs. And that was really creative. Yeah, I, I really loved all that stuff, uh, the way they incorporated STEM into it. Um, the It also has a really good supporting cast, I thought. Betty G- Gabriel yes, from Get Out. So uh, good to see her. She got to have a much better character to play, even though she has that one incredible moment in Get Out. I feel like she's gets to have a lot of really good moments throughout Upgrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, even before the movie, she was in a trailer for another Blumhouse movie. So it's like clearly Blumhouse likes her, is going to keep her around, and uh, is going to try to, I don't know, make her their, like, yeah. their golden goose or something. I'm glad for um, But I, I also like Benedict Hardy. He's like the villain of the, the, of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he's just like very creepy, but like not. he's not like a physical... Uh, physically imposing person. He's just more like this creepy guy, but because he also has these robotic enhancements, like he gets to kind of do some of that same stuff that Marshall Green gets to do, where he's fighting, you know, with guns and knives and other weaponry, but then he's just like laughing the whole time because he's like, I'm right. better than all of you guys. And it's just like, it creates a really fun character for him. And then I thought Harrison Gilbertson gave his great Dane, De, his best Dane DeHaan impression yeah, uh, because they, sure. they look very similar, but also mm-hmm. just like he feels like a 
better version of what Dane DeHaan was going for in like Amazing Spider-Man Two or something. Like, but but also like going closer to DeHaan's Chronicle performance of like creepiness, but um, there's some other aspect to him that you kind of like connect to. Yeah, it was it's a, it was I thought it was a very impressive performance by him. Um, but then the problem with the movie though comes with some of these characters because upgrade. I believe should have been just a much simpler movie. The The plot tries to get like a lot of gotcha. Like, Oh, we gotcha. We're going to twist or we're going to zig when we should have zagged. And <laughs> okay. like, it tries to like surprise people. I think because it is, it's a relatively short movie. It's just over mm-hmm. 90 minutes long. Um, you understand the premise of the movie basically right from the get go. So they try to do some different things like, Oh, this is actually happening when you thought it was going here. And I just didn't feel like some of those character turns were really necessary. And it, to me, it just kind of felt like it just muddied the plot. Where it's like, this, oh, this could have just been a lot more straightforward. And I felt like a little bit more satisfying. Even though I think the way Upgrade ends is really interesting. Um, and I'd be interested to see what they could do with that moving forward. But overall, I really enjoyed this movie. I'm going to mm-hmm. give it four ticket stubs out of five. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm going to agree with you uh, for the most part on a lot of things. Okay. Um, the I think I've already kind of like tossed my piece in there about the action. It was really good, especially for a low-budget film mm-hmm. that had they had to basically do everything almost in camera and practical yeah. uh, because they certainly spent their CG budget money on building out this really gritty sci-fi world mm-hmm. that kind of feels like it could be right around the corner for a lot of us. Yeah. Especially when in some of the, you know, we've already got robotic arms moving everywhere, mm-hmm. people's contacts with uh, built-in displays and things like that are in there as well. So it is really cool and fun world that Winnell, you know, built up and wrote. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, Marshall Green acting in this. You can't convince me or, you know, well, let me say this. I am very surprised, no, I'm not surprised, that we haven't seen him and Tom Hardy in the same room <laughs> together, because I, I, if I didn't know Tom Hardy really well, I would have been like, it's yeah, Tom that's Hardy, Tom Hardy, yeah. so especially in those opening acts, mm-hmm. um, because he's just those, he's a uh, big, brutally blue collar, and then as soon as he sits down in that car, he's like, I love you. <laughs> I'm like, that's Tom Hardy charisma, and that's like a Tom Hardy one-liner, so it was perfect, uh, and he did incredibly well for all the things you said. Um, action, performance, especially, too, having to work with his co-star, who was nothing but a voice in his head, mm-hmm. or just, you know, some uh, ADR after the fact. Yeah. And it worked out really well. They took risks, having these really long takes where he would just have to act with the voice in his mm-hmm. head, and I thought that played out really well. Um for the most part. Okay. There were some instances where they're trying to be, they leave it run to be funny mm-hmm. and the jokes don't land. Okay. But I was, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, story wise. Yes. I think it tries to get a little too smart for itself mm-hmm. in some ways. Like you said, there are twists and turns that it takes you through and you think, uh, we didn't really have, there is setup for it and it's subtle and yeah. it's nice. Um, but also, at the end of it, you're kind of like, we had to go through all of this to get to the end. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it could have been so much simpler. Yeah. Um, 
So I have some questions about that. There's a plot hole or two here. But my biggest thing is, though, uh, his wife, played by Melanie Vallejo, mm-hmm. getting iced. I'm just so over that trope in movies. Yeah. A ton. So having that happen and, and you know, being a revenge flick. Okay, we've seen that movie a okay. thousand times. But going back to Stephen Dussault's cinematography. Mm-hmm. The man, the, this movie is, immac- is immaculate with its lighting and its sets. Um, there's kind of sprinklings of all these other sci-fi movies that we've seen here. Um, there's one particular scene in a bar's bathroom yeah. that just blew my mind. I mean, it looked exactly like something we've seen in John Wick mm-hmm. or Blade Runner 2049, um, as well as there's an a extended scene inside of a warehouse or an abandoned mm-hmm. warehouse. There's also these- a great, like... It's not a super long tracking shot, but like they follow Marshall Green, I believe it is, up a staircase. Yes, it's like it's it's very intricate and, and then there's, well done. And then there's this dramatic uh, swoop in into him driving a Firebird via, or his mm-hmm. Firebird, his car, and just wow, uh, the dude is underrated, and I can't believe I've never heard of him until today. Lucio, yeah, yeah, he's done some two Beyonce music videos, and then a Jungle movie with Daniel Radcliffe, yeah, and that's it. And I. Blumhouse would be insane not to lock this guy down to shoot their movies mm-hmm. because the guy's got some serious style. Uh, and then I've got some other things to talk about, maybe in spoiler territory, okay. but it's a gritty, fun sci-fi movie with some, <laughs> maybe the, the blood and gore is a little bit over the top in a couple places, but you know, doesn't really detract for, uh, from it at all. But I'm right there with you. I would give it uh, four and a half ticket stubs. Four and a half. Okay. I really enjoyed it. Perfect. All right. So let's move into spoilers then. Um, what were the things you really wanted to talk about? Um, okay. Well, can we talk about STEM? Yes. He's voiced by Simon Maiden. He's done. Mm-hmm. He's done really well. So I mean, his his tone is so. He doesn't have any inflection in his voice mm-hmm. whatsoever, but you can sort of get these hints. These little hints that like. He's new to this too for okay. a lot of it, for a lot of the movie. Mm-hmm. But then we get to the end and we realize STEM has been orchestrating the whole movie. Yeah. That STEM's like the, it's the classic, like, Oh, this art He's like, he's basically like Ultron. Yes. Like I'm trying to take over and right. in order to do so, I needed to evolve. And so I'm going to take over a human body. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, Logan Marshall Green's character, gray is the ideal choice. Right. Just because he doesn't have any robotic enhancements? Yeah. So is this uh, just it wasn't really clear to me. Like, why couldn't you just go get? Why did it have to be him specifically? Yeah. Like, couldn't you just go pick somebody else randomly on the streets? Mm-hmm. Or is it because literally everyone in the world has robotic enhancements? And besides him, besides him, I mean, be- maybe because he likes to do things mm-hmm. analog, you know. Yeah, the, yeah. I didn't quite get that. They didn't really explain it that well because that was one question I had of when they when it became very clear that this is where the movie was going. I was like, but like why why him? He, it's not like he has like a background in fighting or some, right. like any area of expertise. I'd be like, oh, this is why this all powerful AI should want his body over the billions of other bodies at their disposal. Yeah. And they didn't answer that, and it was kind of just like okay come on like i feel like there could have been a better explanation for it unless it's just something as simple as um what's his name uh gilbertson's character Mm -hmm. like he said like he just doesn't leave his house so maybe that's the only non-robotically enhanced human that stem has ever seen right um that isn't 
even though he's I would assume he's then not connected to like all the other robotic intelligent things yeah. in the rest of the and world. And then he can, he's in on the plot. Gilberson? Uh, he's doing what Stem tells him to do. Mm-hmm. So my, I'm just wondering about his character and he's like, why is he listening to a computer chip that he built? Right. And doing its dirty work for him until he gets implanted in Marshall Green. Mm-hmm. And then why did he implant the chip in Marshall Green without the inputs only to have... He, he, Marshall the, Green have those taken out of the software later in the film. Well, because I, I would assume that Gilbertson's character wasn't totally in on what Stem wanted. So that like, I don't know if you not the way it sounds because okay. he had to set up the hit. That's true, and which leads me to one of my other problems. Real quick, okay. If the hit was just for Marshall Green's character, yeah, which it was, it was. And then they end up killing his wife. I th- I just thought that was dumb. I would okay. it would have been more interesting to paralyze him and leave him with his wife, mm-hmm. and then offer him that way to get back to his old life again, and then have him sort of there's a duplicity there. I just thought that could have been more interesting. Does that killing her? Does, does killing her and like the term fridging uh, female character? Does that in any way like your feelings of this maybe heightened because Deadpool two was just a couple of weeks ago and they had the same exact plot kind of yeah i mean uh, it's it was right at the forefront of my mind as soon as it happened I'm like ah here we go again mm-hmm. even though i'd seen the trailer before right in the moment i was like ah, this is just playing out kind of the same mm-hmm. way again they're happy and then oh nope happiness is gone <laughs> you're murdered the end yeah so that's why i was just kind of like ah i'm just i'm over it yeah i die yeah i mean i'm not totally uh I, it didn't annoy me as much as it did you, mm-hmm. but I understand why it's annoyed you. It's annoyed other people. This, the trend in general, yeah, I think there's a way for it not to. There's a way for this movie to play out without having to kill her, but I, it would, I feel like it would only just complicate the narrative even further because it would just give him another person to have to hide his enhancement from, mm-hmm. uh, and like her death is the only thing that's like kind of his drive factor of like, okay, I, I do want STEM and I do want to like try to figure this out on my own. Like yeah. with, if she's still alive, maybe there's some revenge aspect of, well, who, who did this to me? Mm-hmm. But I think losing her was at least, I mean, it, it, it goes back into just the, what fridging is, but it, it's the only character motivation he has at that point where if she's alive, it's like, yeah, I'm paralyzed, but still have her mm-hmm. yeah it, it comes back to the psyche of the character mm-hmm. and like you said the whole uh debate around that in general yeah but for sure two times in a row out of two uh, out of three two weeks out of three I, it was, and, it's too I much mean, for it's, me it's kind of pro- it's not as heavily in solo but there's there's an instance of fridging in solo as well yeah um so i mean yeah hollywood just do better but especially because then they they also ended up killing Betty Gabriel at the end of the movie. They do. I was like, didn't need that. I understand why Stem would do in, it. Yeah, it's in cold blood. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll forgive, yeah, I'll forgive that, the murdering true. of a... Yeah, you know, that's, that is not fridging. Of it's, an antagonist. It, right. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it. this movie does end in a position where it's like, hey, we could do a sequel. We could do Seriously a good. spinoff. We could do something else in this universe. I am. T- I would totally be down for it, especially if Winnell returned. Uh and I mean, Marshall Green would have to if it's at least a sequel. I mean, you could do. I guess you could do a spinoff to something else. But 
I'd totally be on board for seeing another one of these. I mean, you said it cost Blumhouse $10 million to make. Their spokesperson told Fast Company it took under $10 million to make the picture. Okay. And I mean, they, it wasn't heavily marketed, so I can't imagine their marketing budget was crazy high. And I think it's supposed to do, I think, just under 10 It's opening weekend. So by the time it has its you know, month and a half run before it's probably phased out of theaters, mm-hmm. I feel like this movie will make enough to at least have conversations about a sequel. And it's getting great reviews. So, uh, I mean, we both gave it higher ones here. I hope it happens. Uh, and if not, I hope Winnell and Duccio and Marshall Green can team up for something else that's maybe a little bit bigger or something like Yeah. I don't know what, but after James Wan's made this jump from Blumhouse to not kind of taking over Hollywood, I want to I want to see when I'll do a similar thing because I think he he appears to be really talented. It makes me want to actually go check out the Insidious movies because if it's Wan for the first two and then Winnell for the third one, I mean maybe there's I mean I'd assume they're quality. Yeah, I mean Winnell is involved in writing those in the Saw movies, mm-hmm. so it, it's all sort of. It's a, uh, I don't want to say a, a amorphous blob of right. those two guys' ideas, but it, I mean, in the way it sort of is. So, I mean, you'll get, you'll get pieces of each one of those mm. guys. Yeah. But I'd be, like you said, the first two are a hundred percent. You can really see Juan more yeah. than Juanel. That's fair. Uh, do you have any other thoughts you want to get to before we get out of here? Uh, no, I, not other than, other than just getting back to, I was just really impressed with the world they built up. Yeah. Um, it was subtle, small, believable, 100%. Mm-hmm. They used their one giant establishing shot for the big city, mm-hmm. and it looked beautiful. Yep. Um, I mean, there was, there was a little bit of lack of detail, but some of the, the ideas that they had in there, like these garden tops mm-hmm. on top of skyscrapers in yeah, the atriums. It was, it was like a little bit nicer of like a Blade Runner future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I would assume Blade Runner didn't always start off as dark and gloomy mm-hmm. as it is, but... Yeah, I mean, I yeah, as I said, I totally have more for another one. I would hope if they make another one or a spinoff or something, because I think they could do more with that man versus machine element. Where like Marshall Green near the end of the movie, he's like, "No, no, I'm not going to listen to you, Stem." And they like start fighting for control, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's kind of interesting. You could get into the reliance on technology. Yeah, that's super prevalent in the movie, but they don't really touch on it. Um, so maybe they a sequel or a spinoff or something could go more in on that and be a kind of a more socially relevant movie. Yeah. Or just kind of make it your black mirror film yeah. universe. That'd let be, it be awesome. about, let it be about something else. Some other technological breakthrough. Exactly. Inside of that area. That would be sweet. I'm, I'm totally on board for that idea as well. Um, so yeah, we both clearly recommend upgrade. Go check it out. If you already saw solo or Deadpool two or Avengers or whatever, you just want to check out a small movie. Mm hmm. Go see it. Go use your movie pass. If you got that, if you know, use it while you still can. And uh, we'll be right. <laughs> the clock is ticking. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. It's, it probably won't last that much longer. But go check out Upgrade, and we'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news. And as always, we're going to start with Ticket or Skip It. In this segment, we look at a trailer that came out in this past week and decide, based on the trailer, whether we would buy a ticket for the movie or skip it. Josh, we got our first trailer for Peppermint from the director of Taken, starring Jennifer Garner. 
Mm. I feel like that's all you need to know. Yeah. What are you What are you feeling about this movie? <laughs> Hard pass. I don't like it. Uh, one One bit. I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is a, another Jennifer Gardner feel-good family movie. And then the drive-by shooting starts. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no, we're, we're not there for this. And then you see from the Taken director. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, oh, boy. Um, I love Jennifer Gardner a lot. But she deserves a better role than this. Even okay. if it is an action movie, that's where she wants, where she wants to go. Uh, I, I, I hate it on Death Wish. And this looks like... Death Witch with Jennifer Gardner, and not a not a fan of it at all. One bit, <laughs> one bit, because it doesn't okay. look like there's doesn't look like there's anything to it. But I will say, it was nice to see John Gallagher Jr. because um, yeah. I haven't seen him since his acid bath in Ten Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> That's true. He finally recovered. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, I'm gonna skip it. Okay. It, doesn't look compelling to me whatsoever. I'm going to give it a ticket. Oh, no. Why? Okay. I'll sell you on it. Why? I'll Please. sell you on it. Let me know. Because now we both had a terrible viewing experience of Taken 3 yes. because it is just a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. But I really like that first Taken movie directed by Pierre Morel. Terrific. And he directed just the first one. So he's not responsible for the second one, which is a step down, and the third one, which was just an abomination to moviegoers. <laughs> and so I feel True. I like the idea of him returning to this kind of formula, but reversing it. And it's not just people being taken away. It's Jennifer Garner losing her family, going into hiding for like four or five years or something, mm-hmm. training, becoming like the next John Wick, and going on this revenge hunt. And I think like the action looks cool. I think Garner like it looks like a cool role for her than something that I haven't seen her do in a while. It's not. I didn't get a chance to. I haven't seen Wonder yet, unfortunately. Right. Uh, you know, I've heard nothing but great things about mm-hmm. it. But like, you know, I want to see, like, I think it's her first action role since Alexa or Electra. Yeah, and it's like she deserves much better than that because Jennifer Garner is talented, and mm-hmm. I want to see like, and there's something about the the look and the grit of this movie that I feel like we don't see this a lot. And I just kind of like the way it's kind of going against the grain. And for whatever reason, I, I just like I just liked the trailer, and it, it got me. All right. I mean, I'm not. It's not like a opening day. I'm here right away. Sure. But I'll, I'll use my movie pass on this, and you know, if my, if my movie pass is already used up, I could I could go to a matinee showing of this. I I could see myself at a matinee showing with movie pass, I suppose. <laughs> but I don't know. It, it, it is a cool twist. It's, this time it's the uh, woman whose family gets taken from her. But, man, vigilante movies where they're like, oh, social media loves the mass murderer. <laughs> nah, yeah. nah. That's fair. That's nah, fair. Nah. All right. So then moving on to the actual news of the week, Variety reported this week that James Marsden will play the human lead Ooh. in Sonic the Hedgehog, who will be named Tom. He's like a street side cop or whatever yeah that's going to help sonic and his friends on their adventure uh, this came after that hashtag show reported that paul rudd jason seagal jack black owen wilson and ed helms were all in consideration for the part mm. marston is the choice yes. is he the right choice oh yeah definitely i mean he's got the experience working with cg characters uh hop was yes. the movie that he did yep. it was terrible but at least it was, i didn't like it, it. was fine from what I remember. Okay. <laughs> but that was many, many years ago. Fair enough. Let me rephrase that. I did not like it. I don't have a good experience with it. But 
I love Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. And I love James Marsden. Even though I've been putting off Westworld Season 2 for a while now. Yeah. I need to get on it. But I think this could be loads of fun. Um, especially if he grows out a mustache. Because if you're... I, you, when the Paul Rudd rumor was out there, I was like, yes, Paul Rudd with a mustache working the streets with Sonic, that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but James Marsden, Marsden is equally as good. Or uh, he's equally as charming. I don't know if he's as funny. Paul Rudd would have been great. But yes. I'm, I'm here for this. This is good. I like it. Okay. What about you? I also like this. Right. Uh, I think if I had to go choice-wise... Paul Rudd would have been my number one. Oh, of course. Then Jack Black at number two. Cause I, mm-hmm. I, I, just him playing off a CG hedgehog wearing like a, wearing like a cop uniform. And I just imagine him like on a Segway for right. whatever reason. Let's <laughs> like, Bart, yeah, style. basically like that just like in my head that just like works and that's mm-hmm. funny, but you get James Marsden to come in. Great choice. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's coming I mean, he's still on Westworld killing it on there and so i'm kind of like you know this is like his first kind of bigger movie get since kind of his westworld revival i feel like yeah so uh it's an interesting choice for him to make i guess career rise going instead of like capitalizing on westworld fame to like join a bigger franchise he's going for what i would assume will be a big franchise because it's sonic the hedgehog Mm -hmm. but he's going the family route um playing the human lead against the cg character would you want to see you know we still have to get the obviously the uh, the voice actor for Sonic. Yeah, I believe the casting call they wanted like a younger kid. Do we just Whew. get like Jacob Tremblay to voice Sonic the Hedgehog? And call it call it rap. That feels really really young, man. I don't know who you would pick to play Sonic and to play opposite James Marsden. Right. I'm trying to trying to remember who they had voice him in the video games, um, but. No, nothing's like okay. clicking for me. Totally fine. Do you have somebody other than Tremblay, or is no. that like the guy you're just like? That's just like he's the he's the he's cute he's, the, he's the, yeah he's the cute kid in Hollywood. Yeah, that is just like in everything. He's in Predator. He's going to be in that uh, like adventure, like skip school movie, mm-hmm. like next year with a bunch of other kids. Like it just seems like he's the guy that Hollywood keeps going to. And yeah, we already yep. mentioned Wonder before. He was in that. And, right. Uh, He'll be the young Luke Skywalker <laughs> in the Kenobi movie. So, yeah. sure thing. Maybe. We'll see about that one. Um, we'll also see what movie Penguin debuts in in the DCEU, according to Variety's Justin Kroll, who said that Penguin may be the top choice to be the villain of Matt Reeves' The Batman. And it's been a long time since we talked about the Batman because we're still technically on hiatus about a certain somebody's position <laughs> on right. this certain movie. We have a moratorium on it. But uh, villain-wise, it may be Penguin he goes up against, whoever's under the cowl. And if it's not in the Batman, though, Penguin may be the villain in Birds of Prey instead. What I find interesting about this is that Birds of Prey, by all indications, is going to shoot before Matt Reeves' The Batman. Ooh. So if that is... If, Apparently, Penguin is the villain in one of the scripts that they have for Birds of Prey. So if they choose that script, does that force Matt Reeves' hand to either be like, okay, yes, I'm doing Penguin and we're going to have to follow Birds of Prey or my actor is going to be a prequel version to the Mm -hmm. Birds of Prey character? Or does that force his hand entirely just be like, well, now I, I can't use Penguin and now I have to go back to Deathstroke or I have to go back to somebody else or I have to go to Hush or yeah. I have to go to Red Hood or somebody else as the villain of my movie and 
restarts the development cycle for Matt Reeves's movie. So with kind of all those situations to play, which appearance do you want to see Penguin make? I would rather him see, be in the Batman movie mm-hmm. uh, because I think Birds of Prey can get along fine with like a black mask or yeah. something like that. So, you know, go Birds of Prey isn't being run by David Ayer, of course. Mm. So, Kathy Ann. Exactly. So maybe they can just pillage his project. Get, take all of his scraps from Gotham City's Sirens. Yeah, exactly. And then, because it sounds like these movies are being fused in it, some It definitely ways. looks like that. But I have a bigger question for okay. you. Okay. Who plays Penguin this time around? Definitely not Danny DeVito. Definitely not Danny definitely DeVito. Definitely not. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I am not a fan of DeVito's Penguin. Okay. Yeah, same here. Or really much of Batman Returns. But I've got something to throw out here for you. Josh Gad. Yes, he's on the list. But I've also got Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, or Jack Black. No to Seth Rogen. Got it. Jack Black. I think so. It would be a different turn for him. It would be a great zany character for him to play. Yeah, I think I it think depends he could on, bring his own to it. I think it depends on what kind of take they want. If they mm-hmm. want the more whimsical, comedic, whimsical type yes. that Dan DeVito played then you, I, th- I think Jack Black could fit that. But if they want to go kind of the more mob boss mentality, Penguin's kind of ruling a section of Gotham, mm-hmm. and you want somebody that can kind of deliver more, I feel like Jack Black wouldn't be the right fit for that. I think Josh Gad could do either version really, really well. Yeah. Uh, Nick Frost has also said he's now interested in playing Penguin. Nick uh, Frost, I really? Think, I think that that could be a... I th- he goes more to that whimsical side mm-hmm. than the, the mob boss, but... No, he can play a mob boss. He could, but I th- just currently I feel like Nick Frost fits more of a whimsical style Penguin than a mob boss, but... Andy Serkis recently said he would love to be in the Batman. Yes. And while people are like, oh, have him be Clayface. Have him be like a big CG character. No. Him as Penguin would just be like the creepiest uh, portrayal I feel like I could ever imagine. Yes. A thousand percent. Don't stop putting Circus in CG makeup. He's good at it. And I know right. he's the only one we can get for a <laughs> lot of these things and have an excellent performance. But man, he's not going to get an Oscar if we just keep lobbing him under, you know, I was, was going to say ma- mounds and mounds of makeup, but that's not <laughs> makeup. And levels and levels of digital. Exactly. <laughs> layers and layers. Yeah. There we go. Uh, oh, I love all those ideas. Or oh, I love the, I love the frost idea, but I, mm-hmm. I am here for the circus. Yeah. The circus is in town. <laughs> it is. If anyone said that, I'm going to use that you later. You got to put that in your tweet dress. Um, yeah. I think circus would be a really great fit. Uh, I do. And I agree with you. I would love to, I'd rather, penguin appear in the batman Mm -hmm. even though part of me would want to see reeves tackle a new villain that we haven't seen before true i understand that why you'd go the penguin route because maybe you can do something different than the devito performance um but also i I would rather see birds of prey go like either in the black mask direction or have like poison ivy be the villain of the movie or just have something else um it's interesting (laughs) to me that they would do like were this all female empowerment movie with female director, potentially an all female crew, an all female cast, but then we're all gonna go fight a guy. I don't know if that's necessary. I mean, and I think that there's a lot of cool DC villainesses that you can. Mm-hmm. There's somebody there yes. that if you just want just a stock bad guy, you could find somebody, or even you could create 
I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, frowned upon. I feel like in comic book movie adapt in comic movie world, but you can create a villain too. I feel like that'd be cool, and I'm kind of mm-hmm. surprised more movies haven't tried to do that yet. And yeah, lose lose some of the reverence for villains and mm-hmm. merge one or two. Like I'm, I know that's taboo. Yeah, but but if they're lesser known it. people, like go for it. Yeah. Um, and I also would rather Penguin, if this is the guy that Matt Reeves wants, have him go to Matt Reeves because I don't want this movie to again have to like start over or something. Like if Penguin's his villain, now he's like, well, mm-hmm. I had this whole plot around revolving around Penguin doing this and that. And you're like, well, now yeah. I got to totally change that. And because I'm changing him with Black Mask or whoever, like does that totally change the story? It, it'll change dialogue. It'll change the narrative. And then we're another year away from seeing Reeves' Batman, which it's been like two years. It's been a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we still don't know anything. Hamada, um, Anne, and Reeves need to make some decisions mm-hmm. real quickly. Because depending on what movie you put them in, that depends on the, the penguin I would take. Yeah. I put Nick Frost in Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. I'd put... Circus, Circus, if he was Batman. interested in it, or you know, the the darker version, right? In Reeves Batman, yeah. So, uh, I've Hamada has not done anything wrong yet. Yeah, he's made all great decisions. So whatever these scripts, as far as we can tell, side upon. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We'll find out with Aquaman. Yeah. Um, well, we'll find out with Shazam. Shazam. But we'll see. Yeah, I you know. Hope they just make some good decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Birds of Prey, Omega Underground reported this week that Black Canary and Huntress are reportedly going to be part of the Birds of Prey lineup, joining Batgirl and possibly Harley Quinn. She may be an actual member of the team and not like a side member or somebody that they work with. That's unclear. Um, And this also comes after the rap reported that Catwoman will not be in the movie. There's also questions about whether Poison Ivy will be in the movie or not. That is still up for debate and yet to be confirmed or totally debunked. But if Birds of Prey is Harley Quinn, Batgirl, Huntress, Black Canary, is that a good four? Do we need more? Yeah, it's a great four. I mean, you've got Batgirl in there, and that'll mm-hmm. be the one that people are like, yes, yeah, perfect. Which does mean, though, they've got to cast the Batgirl for this movie, and then I'm assuming for the standalone film yep. as well. So... Yeah, whoever they, I mean, big decisions are, you know, arriving for they them, are. I suppose. I mean, uh, this movie is supposed to start filming early next year. Mm-hmm. So those casting decisions, if these characters are all included, we obviously have Margot Robbie returning as Harley Quinn. But yeah, we still need Batgirl. We still need Black Canary. We still need Huntress. We still need whoever else is going to appear in the movie, plus possibly Penguin if he's the villain. So uh, it shouldn't, hopefully it shouldn't be too much longer before we actually kind of get some more concrete details on Birds of Prey, whether it be its lineup or who will actually be taking on these roles. Um, personally, I'm really excited for Black Canary because I, I, I just really like that character. Yeah. And uh, maybe that means we'll get Green Arrow on the big screen in a few years or something, which would be interesting. But I like both these characters. They're both typically part of the Birds of Prey lineup. So I think it makes sense that you would include both of them with Batgirl. So uh, we will then move on to Men in Black Ooh, and its yes. spinoff which uh, is possibly the greatest news we've ever reported on on this podcast. Yes. Uh, According to that hashtag show, Sony has offered Kamel Nanjiani a role in their Men in Black spinoff. He will reportedly play Pawnee, the third sidekick 
if he does indeed sign on. And he is described as, quote, a funny, wisecracking, sex-driven alien from a civilization <laughs> that exists on a chessboard. <sighs> sounds incredible. If you remember when the Men in Black spinoff was announced and we were asking who should be involved, I said Kumail. Mm-hmm. And I said Tiffany Haddish. And we didn't get Tiffany Haddish. We got Tessa Thompson. I'm perfectly okay with that. Yeah. But now that Kumail is possibly joining the movie, and I sure I bl- I I really think it's going to happen because why wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. If you're Sony, you just give him anything he wants to make this happen. Yeah, because he's an alien. I would assume sounds like a mocap or an ADR role, possibly. But right. there's also like in the old Men in Black movies, like there are those aliens that hide underneath people's faces. Yeah, yeah. but if he also lives on a chessboard, is he really small? Either way. Kumail, Men in Black, Aliens. It's perfect. I'm ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Josh? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the perfect complement to this entire cast. Neeson's got the grit. Helmsworth's got the, you love me, but I'm also just way too over the, I mean, I'm over this kind of thing. <laughs> Tessa Thompson is the uh, going to be the wide-eyed, like, I've seen it all before. And then there's the, or no, I'm just getting introduced to this. Yes. Whatever that case is. And then you've got, Kumel, who's going to be, like you said, <laughs> wisecracking. That's going to be perfect. If he lives on a chessboard, I don't know how he's going to get around or how big of a role he would have. Well, they say third sidekick, so that, yeah, it's interesting. to me, that says a big enough role that you're in most of the movie. Right. I, I, just, I hope he's in all of the movie. Yes. Like, so, Every because second. He is, he's, I think he's the funniest working comedian actor right now whoa yes I'll, no i'll go ahead and stick with that yeah I'll, okay i'm gonna stick with that i gotta sit on that one for a while I mean, it, it's, it's a tough race it is there's a lot of comics working yeah him and jamie fox could duke it out <laughs> yes i don't know if i call jamie fox one of the best working comedic actors yeah i mean he's yeah because but well, in comedies or overall that's a good question. Uh, that is, that's a great question. Okay, but I'm so happy. This is awesome. This movie went from zero, from dud to stud, really Just quickly. Just because of this? No. Oh, I was like, I casting. thought you were excited beforehand. Because I'm pretty sure I panned this thing like 20 times. You hated it when Every F. Time Gray was it. attached. I thought it was going in a direction. I was like, nah, this is going to be some kind of souped up, over serious Men in Black movie. Yeah. But no, no, this is going to be perfect. And then I we're, we're going to come out saying F. Gary Gray should direct and write comedies and do all sorts of other things. He can not that I want not anything against Peyton Reed, but he can come on and direct Ant Man and the Wasp two or Ant Man three, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, whatever they with go with. Kumail coming in to be the actual giant man if Luis doesn't get that mantle himself. Oh, I am so desperate for Kumail to get in the MCU. And yeah. Star Wars too. You've I mean, just just Star everything. Kamel for everything. That is that is the motto here at Friends and Film, as well as Julian Dennison being yes. everything he can be in. And that hashtag show also revealed that Julian Dennison is joining Legendary's Godzilla vs King Kong. He joins Millie Bobby Brown and Kyle Chandler in the cast, who will both reappear after first debuting in Godzilla King of the Monsters next year. And that hashtag show also said that Francis McDormand has an offer for the lead role what? of this team up crossover <laughs> we don't know if that's happening no denison looks like it is definitely happening other trades have come out and be like yep mm-hmm. it's happening you are in love with this kid i do 
I, I mean, you know, like I'm in love with his performances. Yes. Better, better <laughs> phrasing. Go. Um, yeah. I just think he's, I think he's so funny, but he gets, he ekes out this genuine uh, performance on screen mm-hmm. and tossing him in with Millie Bobby Brown, his like counterpart in the working actor kid section. Mm-hmm. Yes. Phenomenal. He's going to have, I mean, I imagine it'll be a fun set. Well, I don't know. Be. Getting to work with, whatever Godzilla looks like or however you film those things uh, that it's good. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun Um, and whatever they have written for him. I'm sure he'll crush it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just ecstatic because I mean him and Hunt for the Wilder people, he -hmm. was excellent. Deadpool two. He was great. And now he's coming on here. And I just immediately think like the chemistry between him and Millie Bobby Brown will be like the highlight of Godzilla vs. King Kong, assuming yeah. they're actually able to like interact and be like, I would assume friendly in this movie. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, like the Godzilla and King Kong spectacle is going to be great. But I'm all on board for Bobby Brown and Dennison together. Jokes, laughs, yes. comedy. It's going to be excellent. Is this going to be our first time seeing Millie Bobby Brown outside in a movie of her Eleven role? Yeah. It should be. Well, Godzilla 2 will mm-hmm. be, but right. yes. Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm even more excited for that, too, mm-hmm. because I'm like, what's, what, what personality can she bring to the screen other than being stoic? Right. And she always seems so fun in those like late show interviews yeah. or things like that. So like you could tell, like, her she's, and Dennison together is going to be funny. Yeah, like she's definitely kind of like suppressing part of her personality to play seven, mm-hmm. but... Eleven. Or eleven, jeez. But seeing Seven's her, the sister, I think, right? <laughs> I don't know. But so seeing them like, come and kind of... Be, I think a little more freeing, but also like them. I just imagine like their reactions to like seeing Godzilla and King Kong fighting or working together. Just be like, oh my gosh! And, like <laughs> right. Dennison's. Well, I hope he gets to use like the one f bomb in the movie because mm-hmm. he's just hilarious. And then drop the Tupac reference again. Exactly. Well. Uh, it'll be great. It'll be great. And then if they can get Francis McDormand too, I mean that's just a cherry on top. That I mean, would be come killer. On. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess we know that Millie Bobby Brown Child. Kyle Chandler make it out of Godzilla 2, but obviously because they're both incredible. So, moving on then to Silver and Black may not be happening, possibly. Anytime soon is looking like it is the case, as Sony removed it from their official slate, leaving it now undated. It was previously set to hit theaters on February 8th, 2019, which is uh, eight to nine months away from when we were recording this. And they had not started filming. <laughs> they don't have a script <laughs> and no cast. So it's pretty hard to film a movie without any of those key components. So it, not have it being pushed off that date is not a surprise. But it completely losing that date entirely raises some eyebrows. I mean, there's rumors of that Morbius movie being in the works. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, Nightwatch movie with Spike Lee yeah. that they're also working on. But all those are also happening before Venom comes out. In the fall, the Silver and Black losing its release date point to just problems with that movie, uh, Silver and Black, or does it also be like, well, maybe Venom won't be this universe spinoff launching thing that Sony hoped it would be? Uh, I mean, I think it's too early in the Venom post process to be able to say, oh boy, we filmed a dud here. Yeah, or we've created, we've st- started to create a monster, you know. <laughs> um, but I think this was sort of coming for a long time now especially with um by the wood or prince by the wood saying that her she wanted to get her script right Mm -hmm. and that's why it was such a slow rolling process yeah and then um sony's just juggling a lot of sony's trying to find their footing in all of this Mm -hmm. and i'm not it's not surprising that they want to do it right yeah 
then again, Venom took off really, really fast. It did. But I don't I mean it almost seemed like they had that script locked and loaded. Yeah, I would guess so. I mean it got it got it got cast, director, announced, filmed in all like, like a month. Yeah, well, I, I mean, mean, like, just the gear up for By it. the time it hits theaters, I, I mean, it'd be, like, just over a year, I think, like, mm-hmm. I feel like, since, like, the initial casting kind of stuff came out. Spider-Man was last Actually, year? yeah, because they dated Venom before they had announced anything, but it was like, that movie's not happening, and then all of a sudden, it was kind of like Shazam, where it's like, oh, this movie's, like, legitimately happening, and mm-hmm. now we're shooting, and right. it's kind of crazy. So, um, that, that's my take, is just, they're getting there, they're finding their footing with these new properties. Yeah. And this is the first one where they're like, okay, it's not ready yet. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather them push this movie to indefinitely and figure it out than be like, well, we already dated it. So let's just put whoever we can get in front of this camera, film it, put it on theaters because we have to hit that release date. Mm -hmm. Like, at least Sony is being wise enough to be like, okay, something's not right here. Maybe it's Prince by the wood is being the one who's like mandating this. Like, no, the script isn't right. She's said since this, uh, since it's been removed from the slate that they're basically restarting from scratch on the script. So this isn't going to be like, Oh, well it's not coming out next year, but it'll come out the year after that, or it'll come out later in 2019. No, this is going to be like a two, three years away, probably from right now before we see this movie. Right. So and and she- I'm okay with that. Cause I, I don't really yeah. need silver and black to have their own movie anyways. I mean, maybe it opens up the door for either of them to show up in the homecoming sequel as that Femme Fatale character. We don't know. Um, but we'll obviously find out probably sure. pretty soon. And uh, by the way, Prince or Prince by the wood seems like the person who would not tolerate, you know, being yanked around by studios. Right. So if it was going badly, if it was anything outside of what she thinks, mm-hmm. I kind of get the feeling she would be gone by now or, yeah. you know, ditch Sony. So, uh, you know, all hoping for all good things. Uh, but it is a little bit disappointing. Yeah. Uh, we also got confirmation this week on something we talked about a couple weeks ago that Jamie Foxx is going to play Spawn mm. in the Blumhouse movie directed by Todd McFarlane, the guy who created Spawn for the comic books. Fox is on board. You're praising his comedic ability before show and in the show. Are you excited about this? I'm just interested about Todd McFarlane more than anything, but I do like this. Um, especially because it's being described as like a teen horror movie, but Spawn shows up and yanks people into the dark. Right. And does whatever Spawn does to kill people. I don't know what his powers are. Other than that awful movie where he just shoots people. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, but no, Jamie Foxx is perfect for it. I don't know what they want. Todd McFarlane said really weirdly, there's some certain scenes that I need him to do that Jamie Foxx needs to do or something. It was a paraphrasing. Okay. But it was sounded like, okay. So I was like, he had a very specific idea in mind mm-hmm. here. Um, this is, this is Blumhouse, right? Yep. So Blumhouse. my, my faith is in them. We just, I just, I mean, I really think Jason knows what's going on mm-hmm. there and have has done excellently. If Juan even just, puts a little finger on it anywhere i think it'll turn to magic so i yeah that's what i've got okay i'm i don't care okay i don't care I mean, I, that, yeah, i'm right there too. that first spawn movie is a disaster uh i mean yeah i know it's a cult following now but i watch it now and it's just the the, the i can't even imagine watching it at the time and being like oh those are good that, that CG's good because it's just it's just bad. And uh, Jamie Foxx, based on the description that Todd McFarlane's basically given for Spawn, is like, oh, he's like not really in the movie and he doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. And 
I would assume they're going to try to make him a CG creation of some sorts. So not. if that's the case, then like, what are we really getting out of Jamie Foxx other than just Jamie Foxx's name? Um, and it's not an origin story, so we're not going to see any of his like uh, pre-spawn days. So I just, I really don't think it matters who they get. It could work out great for both parties. I wrote a brief article about it for Screen Rant where Spawn needs an A-lister and Fox c- c- could basically use a franchise because he doesn't have that currently. And so if they if it works out for both parties, great. But right now it's not like, yeah, I can't wait for Spawn next year or whenever mm-hmm. it's going to come out. It's more like, whatever. I, I think I just think it has potential. I don't think they would use CG on Spawn. I, just, I think that screams really awesome artists mm-hmm. creating that mask, that cape, the Dracula-like V that it's got there. So, uh, you know, they could do some really cool takes with it. Yeah, and they could. Fox's voice wouldn't lend itself really well to him saying, time to die, or whatever Spawn's catchphrase is. Oh, well, he's not going to say anything in the movie, so. <laughs> That's true. So why? Exactly. Fox. Why? why <laughs> we'll figure it out, we'll, I guess. I guess goes, so. But. Once we get a trailer or some other indication of what this movie's actually going to be, we may be like, yeah, Fox <sighs> was actually the perfect choice. But I feel like the rest of the casting will actually be more indicative of whether or not I'm interested in the movie than Fox being on board. Yeah, it's a great mm-hmm. start. But if he's not in the movie that much, it's like, okay, cool. Woody Harrelson's in Venom. But you're going to see him for like two minutes. Right. <laughs> like, doesn't matter. Exactly. Uh, and the last thing we'll cover here briefly is the death again of the Crow reboot. Death on this week that the reboot is dead once again as Jason Momoa and director Corn Hardy left the project. They're like the eighth duo to leave in the last like couple of years or something. It's ridiculous. This movie just keeps losing talent left and right. And this is the latest one to do so, even though they were kind of gearing up for production uh, and filming, I believe later this year. So have you seen the original crow? Do you have any interest in a reboot? I've never seen the original crow, um, but I'm sure somewhere Dwight Schrute is shedding tears about the crow reboot. It is his favorite movie after all. If you recall season two, episode four, five, the fire, when they're playing Desert Island. Good callback. Good callback. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, I know nothing. I like Jason Momoa, uh, but that's about it. Yeah, uh, I have seen the the first Crow. I've seen Colin Hardy in any of his films. Yeah, I don't believe I have either. But the first Crow is good. It has a very big cult following, which is why Sony wants to reboot it. Other studios have tried to reboot it in the past, so I understand why they keep trying, because it's an IP. Um, but that first Crow movie is pretty good, uh, and I don't think it really needs a reboot. I don't know what else you can kind of do with that character that kind of wants, like, yeah, now we can do it in 2018 or mm-hmm. 2019 and make it better. I feel like it's it's a really good movie, and I don't know if you really make anything that's drastically different or better quality wise than what the original one already did. So yeah. I any just, idea I of what, what down here? Because I mean, they were, like you said, they were really close to production. Hardy um, tweeted, you know, Momoa in makeup and uh-huh. everything. Like it seemed like it was really yeah. happening. And they then, had done a lot of stuff. I, Momoa, I believe put something on Instagram, like that he was heartbroken, basically saying that like, uh, this project needs freed. So I don't know if Sony, 
has just like two tighter grips uh, of a grasp on it and maybe wants to do like a PG-13 mm. <laughs> crow or something that's just not going to fly. And that's what ultimately led to these things not happening. But uh, it definitely is not the full picture of why this isn't happening. And I don't think has been revealed yet. And I think it, it, it may just be one of those projects where yeah, like join a gambit or something where this thing is just never meant to be. So we should just kind of stop <laughs> trying to make it a thing. So uh, that is all we have for the news this week, which brings us to the end of the podcast. But before we sign off, Josh, what are we reviewing next week? We are going to tackle Ocean's 8. Yes. The all-female leading heist film um, of the, the spinoff, I guess, yes. I suppose, of the beloved Ocean's 11 films. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited for it. Kate Blanchett, Mindy Kaling. Yes. Running Rihanna. out of names, Sarah Paulson, Aquafita, <laughs> uh, Rihanna, uh, Hel- Hel- Helena Bonham-Carter, Helen Carter. and you mentioned, uh, uh, of course, Sandra Bullock. The lead, Sandra Bullock. I was setting you up <laughs> to, to read there. I'm excited for it. I love heist movies to death, um, and I'm really interested to see what this thing's got. I've heard good things about it, mm-hmm. so I'm interested to see if it lives up to that. Yeah, I've also, I mean, yeah, there's been some decent word of mouth on it so far based on people who've seen it already. Um, it's got a great cast, as you kind of rattled off. And I'm interested to see kind of how the rest of it plays off. The marketing of late has not been as cagey as to what the movie, I think, actually is, mm-hmm. uh, where they're kind of showing Anne Hathaway's true involvement in the movie, yeah. more so than the actual first two trailers we're doing. So I'm interested to see kind of how that plays out more in the actual movie itself and see if they can kind of recapture that classic Soderbergh vibe that he really nails, I think, in all three of those movies to various degrees, but... Less are, so as they move along. Okay, I mean, maybe, uh, well, I don't know about that. Have you watched 12 or 13 recently? Yeah. How soon? I don't know, like a year? I can't, I mean, 12 is just like a hack job, but... We'll see, I'm going to, I watched Ocean's 11, Reese, I watched Ocean's 11 last week, excellent, still holds up, so good. And I'm going to watch 12 and 13 again before. Okay. Let me know how that would go. Because... I will. I'll report back to the pod next week and uh, let you guys know what I think if Ocean's, the franchise still holds up or not, I guess. But uh, we'll see. We'll also be back this week with a big question discussing the future of Star Wars in the wake of Solo's disappointing box office. Uh, don't have to be that dramatic about it, Cooper. We it's, get it. It it's didn't a, it's do a, well. It's dramatic. It's a big It's a big thing. We have to talk about it. Stop. Um, but if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet more, plus head over to and give us a five-star view mm-hmm. with comments telling us why you enjoy listening to the show, but also if there's anything you guys could think we could improve upon, please share those comments as well because we're always here for a constructive criticisms as long as they are constructive and not just mean. Uh, <laughs> but... Then be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything you covered by tweeting us at Friends of Film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Movie Cooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. And thanks again. And fortunate to the Friends of Film podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our view of Ocean's 8.